Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. All right, got a great episode coming up for you. Big guest, friend of the show, personal friend of mine from the Sportscaster days, Matt Brooks. If you don't know him, covering the Nets for Nets Daily, you got to be following. Obviously, he's one of the great voices covering this team. He comes in for what will now be a reoccurring segment bi-weekly, coming in and breaking down all things Brooklyn Nets with myself and Doug. In this episode, we dive in on his thoughts from the first half of the season and the superstars that have now come together in Brooklyn, the expectations that are ramping up. And then we dive into what Doug and I talked about a couple episodes ago, the Nicholas Claxton-Jeff Green combination on the floor. What does that lock up and unlock, really, in terms of versatility offensively and defensively for this unit? And then Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, all the bigs. How how are these players going to come together and create the best cohesive, most effective, and consistent team in support of those big three. We get into all that, plus a nod to the fan favorite this season, Bruce Brown, and where his role may be shifting over the second half of the season. And before we do, it's of course the theme music. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome back to the Locked On Nets podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team. It's every day. I'm Adam Armbrecht, of course, covering the Brooklyn Nets over on Sportscaster, as well as the New York Football Giants with the One Giant Podcast. And over there is Doug Norrie. He's your guy at DFSR, owner and operator, breaking down all your daily fantasy needs. NBA going on right now. NHL, baseball about to kick it off. Really every sport you could need. How are you doing, Doug? Gil DeLilly here on a Sunday afternoon, because we have a special guest coming in. Yeah, uh, it's Sunday afternoon, apparently where I am. The time she, uh, zone didn't shift like it did for everybody else um, <laughs> that I know. And I was, um, we got Matt Brooks coming on here, so I hate to bury the lead here, but I was, I'm going to really stop myself from spending the first like 20 minutes complaining about why we even do this to ourselves with the time shifts um, and why we just can't ever line this thing up. But anyway, ready to go now. Time aligned. Watches are set. We've... Uh, uh, I'm, I'm ready to go. Synchronized. And can't wait to, <laughs> see, look at me. What's happening here? Listen, what happens? My brain's an hour behind, too. Uh, we're synchronized, <laughs> ready to go, ready to talk to Matt. You better believe it. Yeah, stop shaking your fist on the porch like some punk kid is just throwing you know raspberries from your rose bush. We welcome in, officially, Matt Brooks, obviously, contributor, if you don't know, for Nets Daily, covering Brooklyn Nets. We go back a ways to our sportscaster days where I was talking to this guy almost more frequently than Doug Norrie at times about the NBA in general and, of course, the Nets as well. Matt, how are you, man? Uh, I'm good. I miss our fake trades. We did some just lovely ones. Some of them actually happened. That's the I weird gonna, thing. If we went back and tracked the tape on that, we could actually pull out some real gems. And a lot of those were me kind of just whipping them into the wind and you going, now maybe that one's not yeah. so bad. We'll bury the rest where I where I said some completely absurd things that no one needs to ever see the light of day. Um, so we're going to get into, obviously, the, some first half thoughts from you because we haven't caught up with you in a while. And then some rotation things that Doug and I were picking up on this past week. But before we do, for anyone that doesn't know... You are now writing for Nets Daily and have been covering the Brooklyn Nets here for quite some time. But but how did you get into sports journalism? How did you get into covering the NBA? Um, yeah, I, I started covering uh, the NBA. I actually just was doing general stuff when I first started. Um, it's funny. I did a live stream the other day and somebody kind of asked, like, 
what's the best way to get started? And the best answer I have to that is just get started. And it sounds <laughs> silly, but that's what I did. I was I had my own blog. I was doing probably like kind of really early outlines of what I'm doing now, which is like mostly film related stuff. So I would take highlights from, you know, like Down to Buck or somebody like that. One of those YouTube channels that does, you know, compressed two minute highlights. And I would just sort of break those down on my own blog, moved out to New York, knew I kind of wanted to pursue this sports thing um, as at the very minimum a hobby. But, you know, that was something I was definitely interested in. Um, started, you know, looking around, applied to a couple of places, got accepted to a place. They said, hey, we need a Nets writer. I go, the Nets? What, the Nets? The Brooklyn Nets? <laughs> All right, I'll do the Brooklyn Nets. And here we are. You know, things just progressed. It just sort of started doing it more and more, figured out what I like to do, the type of stuff that I was really interested in, because that's ultimately, like, I think what you should do within this space is not try to force things. Just do what you interest you. Do the thing that is really the thing that catches your eye the most. So yeah, I ended up doing that. And, and now it's progressed to a point where the Nets are like good, which is A, pretty cool. Um, and B, I get to kind of, you know, talk with these guys pretty regularly um, and and get and learn more. I mean, that's been the coolest part of this year, you know, with all these great players, you get to pick their brains and just sort of ask why things happen on the court and what they, you know, I guess like what happens with certain plays. So it's been fun. It's been a really fun experience. And this year has definitely been um, an exciting one for me. Yeah, and you've become, I mean, listen, you've become one of the, the bigger voices and presences, especially around, as we'll get into it, the X's and O's and kind of breaking down some of the film and, and understanding what we're seeing on the court and supplementing what we think we see when we watch the Nets play. Uh, it, listen, it's sound advice. Also, be talented at what you're doing. You know, be, be good at it. Yeah. A lot of, you know, I, I've, I had a lot of uh, thoughts in my mind of going pro in the NBA once upon a time. <laughs> I had to wake up to the reality, five foot seven, not exactly lean and mean as, I, as I'd like to be. When we look back at, and we'll get, we'll let Doug talk here in a second, but when we look back at the first half of the year, since we hadn't caught up with you, what was your general takeaway from the first half with the big three? Obviously, the Harden trade comes in. We haven't gotten the biggest sample size with all three of these players, and yet, was that the best version of the first half of the year for Brooklyn? Because I don't think even Doug and I had them earmarked for a number two seed and on a pretty heavy win streak heading into the All-Star break. Yeah, it's funny how many gaps... Uh, Harden is filled like that would be my big thing the takeaway so far it you know you watch that team early on and they're like clearly really good but there were just certain points where it felt like things were missing in a way where it just certain players like it didn't feel like it was cohesive and 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 dare I say it there were like moments where I'm watching this team and I'm like this feels a little like Clippers E from last year where it's like I just don't know if this group is cohesive yet and maybe that's just time needs to heal that but it was just something about that team early on that I was just not all the way sure of what to expect they make the Harden trade this guy's as advertised I mean he's just the passing that he's able to provide night to night is so huge for this group um, you have all these different guys like breaking out it feels like every single week no matter who you throw on the court it seems like Brooklyn always has depth always because of James Harden so in that sense I mean for me they're a favorite to win it all by, I I would even say a considerable margin right now. Like, I think if they can get KD healthy, I just don't know who's really going to beat this team. Um, and I I just, I, I, I'm usually the biggest pessimist. Like, I grew up a fan of the Minnesota Timberwolves. I have been beaten down so many times by the <laughs> idea of teams and then the actuality. But this team has been 
everything. It's answered pretty much every single question I could have. They're playing at average defense level, even like on defense for a guy like Harden. He's filled in the gaps there. He gives them a little bit of size, a little bit of width, if you want to use yeah. that, a little bit of heft. So and I, that's. And I think Doug has kind of leaned into that a little bit quicker than I did, leaning into the saying, "Yeah, this this is one of the better. Uh, this is the the best team in the East, or you can earmark them for a finals appearance." Yeah. I, I for maybe it was just a little bit gun shy being a Nets fan for so long and just being like, yeah, but just wait until I, I don't know and I don't know what the until moment is going to be. Maybe it is getting KD on the floor with these guys and really seeing them rip for 10, 15, 20 games before you hit the playoffs. But I, I, I know Doug, you you just kind of said, or I don't know who we were speaking with somebody and you were like, yeah, yeah, finals appearance. I, I, you know, very comfortable with that. And now yep. it feels like every step along the way, we're just kind of affirming that and saying not only earmark for a finals appearance, but now getting even more bullish that they can take the championship. The well, Matt said that- something. Well, Matt, real quick, Matt said something interesting here, which I hadn't really thought about, but it's so true. And and I'm not sure you meant it like one for one this way or not, but it's gonna it's gonna ring out no matter what. Is that when you said that Harden adds depth to the team? Because in a lot, in, in actuality, what happened with the trade was it felt like the Nets had like sort of disintegrated their depth overnight. And you do it every time, so it's not like you wouldn't you wouldn't do that trade for the pieces they gave up. But when you say like when you said like he adds depth to the team, did you mean it more from like a functionality piece, like? Because he's so good at so many different yeah. things that it's effectively like having more than one player. Like he's so, he's so good, and there's maybe there's this gravity of player that exists in the upper echelon, and there's so few of these guys out there. Maybe there's six total that they're actually like more than a total guy. Like they're like one point two five players or, so, or something like that. I'm not even <laughs> sure Kyrie. I'm not even sure Kyrie's in this group. But is that what you mean by that? Like he adds depth by just the ability to do so many different things well. In a sense, yeah, because you're able to split him and Kyrie up, which I think has been the big underrated part of this season, is that they just always have somebody who's just so elite with the ball in his hands, um, and that's with KD out. And I think to be able to do that is just such a huge benefit versus... like I mean, look, like I Silver, very good to see him back playing. I thought he looked pretty good for the Pacers. I thought he had good points in the season. But even this year, there were certain points where there were growing pains where it's like, oh, this is the sixth man and you're kind of having him out there, and all this depth that they have, that stuff is great, but it doesn't quite accumulate to anything, and it just feels like there's certain points in the game where they're just, they just kind of have lulls, and there's nothing you can really do about it. Now, it's just like, I don't even know, there's no weak points ever, it feels like, unless they, for some reason, Steve plays a rotation without Harden or Kyrie, which just never seems to happen. The other thing I meant by that, though, is that because Harden is such a good passer, Roles are so simplified, so you can mm. just throw anybody in there. You could throw Tyler Johnson in there, and he'll hit two threes, and he'll be like, okay, he did enough, and that justifies him being out there on the floor. Um, and I think that trade-off is just so big because he just makes everybody around him better. Um, that's the great thing by, about By Harden. the way, you know you know, Matt is big time because he called Steve Nash Steve. And so when he does <laughs> when he does something like that, that's how you know. If you want to, sometimes you just want those little. It's like that little point about yeah, we all caught it. It's like everyone else is calling him Coach or Nash or Coach Nash. But when Matt drops the Steve on you, then you know like okay, this guy's absolutely dialed in. We're going to talk to Matt here more in a second about some of the other pieces around the Brooklyn Nets. First, got to talk to you about our friends over at Headspace. I got to tell you right now, I needed Headspace this morning because with the time shift and even in the day of cell phones where it seems like the cell phone should be able to tell you the whole story of your whole life with the time, I was still able to mess that up somehow. And I feel like it was probably because I just didn't use the Headspace app last night to get myself in the right frame of mind before bed. Look, Headspace is a 
perfect app for this kind of thing. It's your daily dose of mindfulness. It's in the form of guided meditation, and it's super easy to use. It's one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. We love, we love data around here. The more research, the more data, the better. Headspace is backing it up with that as well. So whatever the situation, Headspace can really help you feel better. You're feeling overwhelmed like I was only an hour ago. Headspace is a perfect three-minute SOS meditation for you to get yourself grounded. Again, trouble falling asleep. They have a, uh, wind-down sessions for their members also. And it's just all super easy to use in the form of the app. Right now, you deserve to feel better. And Headspace is the meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash NBA. That's headspace.com slash NBA for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace full library of meditations for every situation. Headspace.com slash NBA. Also, got to talk to you about our friends over at betonline.ag. Look, this is a we're gearing up for ultimate sports action, especially when it comes to stuff happening on the basketball court right now. NBA in full swing back from the All Star break. Got NCAA March Madness coming down the pike as well. You know you're going to get those brackets filled out. Bet Online has you covered for every way you want to get bet, bets in on all the sports action you can ever imagine. NHL, maybe if you're over on the ice, maybe you're an awards or reality TV kind of guy or gal. They got that cover for you there as well, too, with props out the wazoo, plus real updated odds and anything else you can imagine. News, scores, it's just your one stop shop for bets, and it's totally free to sign up. Head on over to the website, betonline.ag, on your mobile device or browser. Sign up for free, but then if you make a deposit, you get a 50% welcome bonus. 50% welcome bonus, but you have to use the promo code locked on, just like our podcast network. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. And you heard Doug mention it. It is officially March Madness. March Madness is here, and that means the bracket challenges are here as well. Join our Locked On Listener Bracket Challenge group on ESPN. Submit your March Madness picks. Beat your favorite host. And if you win, you will get a guest appearance on Locked On Today, our daily news podcast. The link to join is in the show notes of this very episode. Get your picks in today. So... As we have Matt Brooks here with us, and I don't know, maybe, you know, you mentioned it there in the last segment, maybe you and Papa Stevesy are getting on some calls here pre-post game, uh, going out to dinner, whatever the case may be. (laughs) One of the reasons that I got excited to bring you in was because following the first game when the Nets beat Boston there, it was the first time, you know, Claxton dealing with injuries to start the year, and then Jeff Green had the shoulder issues heading into the All-Star break. First time that we really maybe had the team had had an opportunity to utilize them, and obviously still in the absence of Kevin Durant. Now you get another game here last night on Saturday night. What I thought I was seeing was the combination of Jeff Green and Claxton at the four and the five really offers tremendous versatility and adaptability on both ends of the floor. Those are very broad stroke terms. But then I saw you tweet out a comment about it as well, and I thought... Well, here you go. That's my affirmation. I've got Matt Brooks telling me this is a really nice combination to be able to go to. What did you? What are you seeing specifically from the both of them being on the floor? Because you look at these last two games, it's not like the stat lines are going to jump out at you and say, wow, both these players are having monster games. But the eye test tells you something is really working in support of Harden, in support of Kyrie when they're on the floor. 
Yeah, I just like it because it's two guys that, you know, even at this point, Jeff Green offers like a little bit of, quite a bit of athleticism, honestly, for his age. Claxton Surprising does, athleticism, uh, right? <laughs> quite a bit. Yeah, it's 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 definitely something that pops out. Um, and I think that that's pretty exciting. You could put Jeff Green in the short role. You could put Claxton in the short role. Um, I'd love to see them do more things with the both of them. So you have, you know, Jeff Green, uh, let's say they run, let's say they just do horns or something like that, which is the setup where you have two players or one player in each corner and then one player um, at each elbow and the ball handler dribbles up the floor. I'm going to try not to like go too much into this, but because I know this isn't the best podcast content, Um, but basically it's this setup where it, one guy rolls to the basket, the other pops out to the three. And I think that there's a way to, to, to kind of create more offense like that, where you're making the most of having guys that can do separate things when they're setting screens. And that just really confuses, I guess, assignments for a defense. So I like that a lot. Go to the other side of the floor. Those guys can switch. So you're able yeah. to switch one through five, which is really the secret sauce to the Nets, I think, a lot of the time. Um, I don't mind the drop coverage necessarily, but I think it has to be mixed in appropriately just with the way the league is going now. There's just so many guys that can hit these pull-up shots from three that are left open or even from mid-range um, that, that yeah, again, just are left open because of drop coverage being a little bit more of a conservative scheme. So I think all in all, it just balances out everything on, on both sides of the floor. And I think it's an enticing pairing for the Nets to work with going forward. So then the other player being obviously the Nets acquire Blake Griffin. He's joined the team, hasn't hadn't yet got on the floor for them. Is the sample size from Jeff Green and Nicholas Claxton something that then Nets fans should lean into and say, well, Blake Griffin would be another member of that type of mold of player. And now you have these three guys that can hopefully be interchangeable and get, and get used with consistency. And, and, what, and what could that mean for DeAndre Jordan? Because again... He had a what looks like a flashy game on Saturday night, right? Yeah. He does everything that you want. And, and at the very least, he's a veteran who understands where to be and gets those looks off of James Harden. And his stat lines do look maybe prettier than they actually are. Is there a world where the Claxton, Jeff Green, and uh, and Blake Griffin combination is where this team is going to be by the end of the year as they approach the playoffs and DeAndre Jordan could see his minutes slowly diminish? Or are they still going to do this balancing act where they have very different identities when DeAndre Jordan is on the court? Yep. And it seems like these other three players could then say, we'll always be consistent. When KD is back, we're always going to have the same supporting cast no matter who else we rotate in. DeAndre Jordan does two things well that I think nobody else on the Nets can do. A, play in that drop coverage, which I do think is an important thing to play in certain spots. So if there's a lineup in and the shooting isn't really there, Put DeAndre Jordan out there. Like, let him just, you know, completely eat up the paint. You're maybe not going to face that as much in the playoffs, but I think there are certain points where you're able to get away with that to a degree. I also like him against the Embiid's, the Giannis's of the world. I don't love it, but it's probably their best options just because he's a little bit bigger. And I think that that offers quite a bit of oomph for the Nets. On the other side of the floor, he's by far their best screener. I mean, and if there's Mm. one thing I can nitpick with you know, especially Claxton, it's just he doesn't know when to screen. Um, You'll see plays where he looks like he wants to go set a screen and then he realizes he's late. So he turns around, he'll go, okay, I'm going to go set an off-ball screen. Too late for that. He's missed that opportunity as well. So he's just kind of standing there doing circles 
and like it looks like he's chasing his own tail lost kid in the department store yeah, kind of vibe. I, you know, I've lost my parents and I'm not sure whose hand I should be holding. Right. And like, that's a huge part of their offense. I mean, the, the nets, like it, it's a very simple thing. And like on the outside looking in, it's like, Oh, it's just a screen, but they become a little bit more East to West. If they don't have a guy setting a screen that, that really warps the defense. Cause then you're getting uh hardened downhill or, or I guess you could throw Bruce in there. But, I mean, DeAndre Jordan is just the most effective screener just because he's big and his screens are effective because of that. And he rolls pretty hard. So I think the big thing, and I, I, I might be the only person who feels like this, I need to see if Blake Griffin can shoot before I say anything about the rotation, before I say mm. he's an integral part. Like, we love to get really excited about little things, his abilities in the short roll. If you've watched Blake Griffin, he can't finish at the rim anymore. I mean, it's like it, it, you know, it, like he at least relative to what he used to be able to do, it's just not there necessarily. So if he's not doing that and he's not shooting the three ball that well, then all this stuff that's so exciting about him being in the short roll kind of goes to waste because teams are just playing you for the pass, and and that's sort of how things shake out. And I think we'll know. And I I don't know if I've said this. I mean, this might be my debut of this take. We'll know in two weeks. If, if Blake Griffin can play for the Nets, I think it'll be very clear very early and it'll be like, okay, this guy either is cooked and he can't do anything or he's shooting the three ball well and he's going to earn more minutes and maybe he even eats up a little bit of Green's time. I don't know, but I think that would be my big hesitation. I definitely fell into the he's cooked territory when they first got him. Um, that was the, my initial take. Adam um, was able to temper my <laughs> – it was mostly just like when we, when we didn't know what the number around the signing was and all of that stuff, I just really questioned it. Were you like me when I saw that he wasn't going to immediately join the starting lineup? Did that give you – like I know I felt comforted. <laughs> I felt comforted in the idea that we wouldn't have this like – thing that happened with DeAndre Jordan where they, he starts in the starting lineup and then it ends up getting being so hard to get him out right like do you think that like him opening opening his time on the nets is I guess this is a two-part question is it is it comforting that in, the, in that sense because then they're going to get the actual whatever real version of it is and we can see if it's good or not and then two though I guess dovetailing that together like where do you feel in terms of your comfort level around the bigs now, because I know you'd written you know, only a few weeks ago that you know, like there was it was just super, a super concerning situation around fighting around what was going to happen with these bigs. So, like, did the Blake thing, like, one, you know, are you glad that you didn't see that happen? And then two, though, overall, with the addition of Claxton Blake coming in, like, are is your is your feeling around just the maybe just the depth or the usability? That's not really a word, but usability around these guys has that it just at least changed in the short term? Oh, that's a good question. Um... Man, I I think the good thing is that if Blake is playable, it gives you a bunch of different options. Um, because I, I'll be honest, like I thought this performance uh, on Saturday against the Pistons was a really good example of where Claxton is, where the highs are really high, and then he has moments where it's like, ooh, that's a really bad foul. Um, that's not a great turnover. It seems like he's doing a little bit much. Uh, he's chasing his tail, not setting screens. It just was like, I thought, like a nice little microcosm of, of who he is right now as a player for the Nets. Um, I'm high on him. I think they should continue to develop him because those are things that are fixable. And I think if you can get him to a point where you feel comfortable with throwing him out there for 10, 15 minutes, it's going to pay dividends because they're winning those minutes when they when they throw him out there. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, I think just overall with the the big man rotation, it just I just think it'll all make sense in two weeks' time. They only have so much time, and I and and Steve or Coach Nash, <laughs> um, Papa Stevesy, Papa Steve, uh, made the point the other night that they only have so much time. They can only kind of play with things so much, and I thought that was an interesting thing to bring up right after they bl- uh, brought in Blake, just because it's like you want to get him out there. You, I mean, I, I, I do buy the whole, like, they want to do this whole ramp-up thing. I, I think they're genuinely concerned about him, you know, being in basketball shape. But um, at the same time, I do think there's a little bit of give or take there. there again, it's going to be, what, 25 games, maybe? Um, for, for I mean, I guess it might be more than that. Maybe 30 games for them to figure out what they've got in Blake. And it's just... You know, again, the playoffs are coming up soon, so they got to figure it out. All right, we're going to get into some more of Matt's thoughts here regarding the Nets, maybe a possible championship run, some more of the role players, some of the rotations as well. First, got to talk to you about our friends over at Built Bar. Built Bar right now, ramping up to Built Bar Madness. Now, look, if you don't know what Built Bar Madness is, it's what happens when you have a product that has literally so many good options with it that you need to have a tournament to see which one is the best. Like, think about where you've seen this kind of thing happen with other products in the past, where um, they just have so many great options that you can spend like hours debating about which one is the best. That is where we are with Built Bar right now. They're running their Madness Challenge over the course of the next couple of weeks as they get ready also for the NCAA Madness. And Built Bar has you covered when it comes to the best-tasting protein bar. If you go to BuiltBar.com, you're going to see the brackets with all the best flavors up there. Uh, toffee almond. They got the, all the you know Cherry Barcia if you're a Deadhead fan. Uh, the Marshmallow one is the one the NBA guys on the Lockdown Network have been going completely nuts for. Uh, I think it made it out of the first round. If it was up to the Lockdown NBA group, that is the one that absolutely wins it all. Right now, if you go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, you're going to get 15% off your next order. That's LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. And check back later to see who won Built Bar Madness. Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Jalen Suggs. How much do you really know about these potential NBA stars of tomorrow? If you want to know more, then you need to be subscribing to the Locked On NBA Draft Podcast. You got prospect scouting reports, draft rumors, mock drafts, and full coverage of March Madness four days a week from credentialed draft experts. Subscribe today and follow Locked On NBA Draft. So then, real quick before I get into a couple of these other, a couple of role players that I wonder how they'll be impacted as Blake Griffin gets integrated and as KD gets back on the floor. But when you talk about the, the not limitations, but the experience factor for a Nicholas Claxton, do you, just quickly, do you think that it's possible? You said 10, 15 minutes. Do you think that he's going to get to that place? Is, you know, it, is this a combination to Blake Griffin? Is it, well, this is a guy's experienced, and if he's not cooked, then it's a safeguard against potentially Claxton not being ready for playoff contributions? Where do you, you know, projecting, do you can Claxton be a contributing member in playoff basketball for Brooklyn, or is this just about stemming the tide until Katie's healthy, and then you go back into these rotations of Jordan and Jeff Green, and maybe Griffin becomes a part of that as well? I'll say yes. I think he can be a part of it, uh, especially yes. early on in the playoffs. I think that especially in that first round, it, you know, it always feels like, and maybe this hasn't happened as much in recent years, but what's a good example? Like Thon McCurr, uh, or Thon Maker, however you want to pronounce it, um, won a playoff game for the Milwaukee Bucks a couple of years ago. Like, mm. I, I think there's a world where you can throw Claxton out there and 
Maybe he'll hit a couple of, you know, he'll, he'll make a couple of layups through contact. He'll make some big plays on defense. It's just a nice counter to have. He's such a weird, just sort of throw you off your game type of player. Um, it, it genuinely seems to surprise teams when they throw this seven footer out there and he's guarding their opposing guard. And they're like, great, this was the easiest switch of our lives. Like, this is exactly what we want. And he tracks them from the three point line <laughs> to the rim. I mean, it's just like, I, I just think it catches everybody by surprise. And I think you can get away with that, especially early on in the playoffs. So I think there's a world where they can make it work. Um, I also think just because of the nature of how aggressive they're being, they might not feel a hundred percent great about their options at center. You know, that's the reason they're yeah. they're gonna bring in a Blake Griffin. That's the reason they're gonna potentially chase like an Andre Drummond. Um, it's just a safeguard against, oh wow, we we screwed this. Like this <laughs> Claxon is not where we want him to be, or oh my God, we cannot play DeAndre Jordan against good teams. Um, or even like the Jeff Green at five lineups. Like, uh, I don't know if I really like these lineups. Like, this just gives you more flexibility to build against that. The other guys then, you know, the, over the last couple of games as well. And I mean, Shamit has f- finally started to find his rhythm a little bit, knocking down some big three-pointers. And it, and it stretches even on Saturday night's game against Detroit was, was the only guy knocking down those three-pointers. So it's great to see him start to find his rhythm. But I, but I think about him, and then I also think about a guy like Bruce Brown when – Listen, we've enjoyed talking about how they're playing him at the five at times, and it, and it, and it's working, and this guy is effective in it. And also, that can't be what the plan is. So, is the performance of Shamit is he the more important guy to to be available and be a contributor? Can Bruce Brown purely be a guard contributor on this roster? Mm-hmm. Is he going to have a niche? Or or is this the beginning of kind of shrinking down what makes the most sense rotationally? And is Bruce Brown maybe going to, oddly enough, be the odd man out when it finally all fleshes out? Uh, it's early. All right, so I'll, I'll start with that. Um, I do think that if, they're, if the Nets are going to bring in all these bigs and stuff like that, the guy with the most to lose is Bruce Brown. Because when you're playing an offense, now if it's like a Blake Griffin who hypothetically, we'll see if it happens, can shoot, this isn't as big of a problem. But if you're bringing in Andre Drummond next to DeAndre Jordan, and these guys are standing in those dunker spots right next to the rim, when Bruce Brown operates in the short roll like he has all season, those layups and stuff like that, those now all need to be floaters. And and floaters from like 8 to 10 feet out, just because those big men are going to rotate off DeAndre Jordan. Because they're going to say, you know what? We've watched quite a bit of tape. And I, I think that's the other thing that's starting to happen with with um, with Bruce is that teams are starting to get a little bit more tape on him. They're going to say, we dare you to make that lob pass because you haven't really made that all season. And we're not even sure if you can slip in those passes every single time, even if it's not a lob pass. It's like that bounce pass to DeAndre Jordan or Andre Drummond or whoever. And I think because of that, not only is there going to be more tape, the lineups are going to be a little bit harder for Bruce to do what he's so good at. Now, he can still make plays off cuts and stuff like that, but he's going to need to supplement the offense from other ways, and that probably means he's standing in the corner just a little bit you know, just a little bit more, just by nature of playing bigger. And I think we still need to see if that's like a real feasible thing for the Nets. 
Um, you know, I think you actually did start to see that over the last two games too. I think you're totally right. Where it just it wasn't where it looked like it was so easy for him around the rim over and over and over again. These and you all of a sudden you're like, oh my god, is he just like a seven foot amazing finisher each time? It's like ah, oh, maybe it just people hadn't totally adjusted to what this team was doing comparatively with what basically every other team in the NBA does with these kind of guys, especially with the, like, where you're going to guard them. I get quick question for you as we kind of start to close things out here. Where do you? You know, you mentioned Drummond. You mentioned some of these guys in the buyout market. Do you think how close do you think the Nets are to the realized version right now? Is there like a specific move you'd want to see? You don't need to go through all the scenarios here, but is there like a specific realistic move that you'd want to see the Nets make here before, you know, during the buyout market, during the trade deadline, whatever the options are going to be? And then from there, do you if the, if it didn't happen, do you feel like this this current version right now is close enough to realize where we can start really dreaming on the championship piece? I think another big wouldn't hurt just because I'm not sold on Blake. Um, so if they wanted to pursue a, a Drummond, I think you would try to do that. I also, and here's the bomb, I would trade Spencer Dinwiddie, probably. And that hurts because I, I love Dinwiddie <laughs> and he's a character and he's been a huge part of what they're building or what they Everyone's have been building years. Everyone's but going away, man. They just, where's the need? <laughs> uh, we saw it. We saw it early in the season. You can say, well, it was a whatever, two, three game sample. But it's like, what? Like, what is he doing? Is he, you know, setting screens off ball? Is he going to be a screener? It just, it isn't really a maximized version of Spencer Dinwiddie. He's a very smart player. I'm sure he would have figured it out. But you're trying to fit, you know, a square peg into a round hole. It just, it doesn't really fit for me. So even if it's for like a PJ Tucker, which you know maybe on the outside looking in, it's like, ooh, that's not a great trade. Dinwiddie's an expiring. Nets don't have a ton of leverage. So what you're left with is, hey, maybe we're just going to see what we can get. This guy, P.J. Tucker, maybe he's not going to get bought out. We'll move this and we'll sort of take the L here, but at least we're improving our front court rotation with a guy, by the way, who's succeeded quite a bit next to James Harden. Yeah, um, well, they're sitting him out right now, so I think that he's not long for the Rockets. I think it's just a matter of, um, you know, if they have the mechanism with which to get him or not. Now, short of that move not happening, let's not even speculate on the final moves here. As we close out of here, and we're going to have you on again, so you can feel free. You don't need to, you don't need to die by this this take here, <laughs> um, so don't don't worry about it because you'll be on uh, plenty before the end of the season. But the uh, where they are right now, this current iteration of the team, this was the team that had to take the court against the Lakers. If it had to take against the court against the full strength Clippers team, let's say Embiid's knee is okay and he's able to come back, um, it looks like he's going to be fine, which is like a total miracle based on what that looked like. But um, against these teams. The Bucks with you know that fully you know they're kind of rolling at full strength again too. Is this Nets team as it currently stands right now the definitive favorite to win the championship? Yes, I, I don't. I, and I I I think the one caveat is if the Lakers can get healthy. Um, but even that, it's it's weird with the Lakers. As much as I like how they're set up, I do think they're just not quite what they were last year in terms of a perimeter defense. Um, you know, Danny Green, even at this point in his career, he just offers a little bit more than Wes Matthews. He's a little bit lengthier, really. And I, I think because of that, I I do think there was a trade-off there. Um, you know, they still have Caruso, KCP. They have guys that are going to make those, those, you know, strong defensive stances. But that would be my biggest thing right now for them. And then just the health of Anthony Davis overall. But um, yeah, I, I think I would pick the Nets pretty easily. It's you know it's a league of talent. I think the Sixers series would be pretty fun as well. I hope that's what we get. Um, 
you know, the Nets really just aren't be really built at all to to stop the Sixers. Um, and I think that makes for a pretty fun matchup. All right, Matt, you can follow Matt on Twitter at Matt Brooks NBA. Super easy to remember. You can also read his writing on Nets Daily, where if you're not reading it already, you just have fallen behind the rest of the Nets fandom because he's breaking down video. He's making you smarter in basketball. You can read his shame you on can you. Read his stuff and then pretend like you thought it yourself. That's sometimes what I do. Is like I'm just like I go I go and read the I go and read the article in the video, and then I just pop off to somebody else as if I came up with it myself. I don't need to give I don't need to give credit where credits due every single time. I'll give it now to you on the podcast, but like in my daily life when I'm just you know throwing out hot horns takes you know toward people, I'm just not. Gonna yeah, that's him. what it's for. I'm not going to tell him that I read it by Matt. I'm just going to say that I saw it in the game. You check out Matt on Twitter. Like I said, Matt, Matt Brooks, MBA, over at Nets Daily as well. The way you can help the show is you rate and review the podcast wherever you listen. Five stars or bust. Don't even want to hear from me if it's not five stars. Write a little review, glowing as usual. It helps us continue to, to climb the podcast charts. Give us a follow on Twitter right now. I'd love to be able to catch Matt's follow following on Twitter. He's up in like that, I think, like 6,000 range. We're looking to break 1K. We've got to catch Matt Brooks here. So go and follow us on Twitter at LockedOnNetsNBA. Those are all super easy ways to help the podcast. Love having Matt on as always. Of course, don't forget, friends, uh, go check out the Locker Room app. We're going to be announcing what day coming up this week that we'll be inviting you, the fans, to join on and talk a little bit about the Brooklyn Nets as well and be a part of the podcast. But in these positive times, man, let's get together and feel all right. Robert Marley. Ah, one of the great poets of a generation. Thanks again to Matt Brooks. We'll be back again tomorrow talking more Brooklyn Nets basketball.